guys. Welcome to Unapologetic Live. It feels so weird saying that because I've been gone for like two and a half weeks, but Taylor's here. Yeah, and I think... <laughs> yep, this button still works. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Still works. Hi, guys. It is so good to be back. For those of you who don't know, I was uh, on vacation for the past uh, couple of weeks in London, and I spent one day in Paris, which we'll get to that and talk about. Uh, but I've been gone, and the channel has been running thanks to Taylor and the team we've got over here. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Our pleasure. Nobody even knew to, noticed, so you could actually just go back to Europe and I think would be fine. Kill it. Your channel's been growing like crazy, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, just so, relax. When I move to Paris, guys, you guys won't even be the wiser. We'll just film some videos over there. Uh, but today, I figured... Since I just got back yesterday, we're just going to do a little bit of a catch-up today, hang out with you guys, maybe talk about some differences that I saw being in London versus being in the United States. And I'd love for you guys to drop in the comments down below, have you guys ever been outside of the United States? Are you from somewhere outside of the United States who, who is watching this show right now? And if so, what is different between the countries you've been to and uh, America? I honestly am going to go out there and say I don't really think they were all that different. London was all that different from... America. You've never been to London, though, Taylor. I have not been to London. Uh, but he's been like everywhere else in the world except <laughs> a few other places. Yeah. You, wait, wait. So what's what's your list? You've been to you've been to France. You've been to Brazil. You've been to Spain. Um, actually, not Spain. Not I've Spain. I've been to like uh, 25, 30 countries or something like that, but um, not Lon countries. London. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've been to two now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm feeling really good. Feeling really worldly. Mexico's really Mexico's only like uh, four or five mm -hmm. hours away from here, so you could. Make right. That quick trip. We need to add number three on the list. Honestly, the only I'm trying to think of the major differences, like really delve into the back of my mind and, and figure out what the main differences between London and the U.S. were. The architecture in London is way cooler than the U.S. I'm going to go out there and say it. It's a lot more awesome and just old, uh, old school has a lot more character to it, a lot more room for just like color and variety. Whereas in America, at least uh, specifically in L.A., all the buildings like look the same. They're all grayscale and boring and gross because I think we're just so into just quick build, quick build, manufacture, manufacture, create, create, create. Uh, and so that was really cool to see sort of the old school architecture to go and look at Parliament and Bucking Buckingham Palace and uh, check out all the different regions, Kensington, Westminster. Uh, so that was really cool. Although... I will say I saw like four people get robbed while being in London and apparently pickpocketing and thievery is just such a huge thing in the city. I went to multiple stores where the girl right behind me or the girl right in front of me had her phone stolen, had money stolen out of her wallet. People just jump knocking into them and pickpocketing. My my boyfriend's coworker was sitting at a restaurant and some gypsy, I don't know if you can say the word. Can you say the word gypsy anymore? Is that offensive? Probably not. We're going to be banned now, just like Stephen Crowder. <laughs> Our YouTube channel is gone the first day I get back because yeah. I said the word gypsy. <laughs> Anyways, that's the phrase that I heard, so I'm going to say it. Uh, gypsy walked up to the table and just like flashed flyers in her face trying to talk to her. And while doing that, just snatched her phone and, and walked away. Luckily, I'm street smart, y'all. My phone is in my bag. My wallet's in my bag. And my bag is under my arm. There's no way you are jacking my stuff. Hey, straight out of Watts, right? <laughs> straight out of Compton. <laughs> I know what people are up to most of the time. But even so, it, it clearly is sort of a cultural or social issue there because we would go to some of the major franchises in London. One of them is Itsu. It's like this sushi place that you can go into and grab sushi and, and sit down and walk out or, or whatever. And on the table, there were little placards that said, you know, warning, do not leave your bags on the ground. Thieves operate here. Do not leave anything unattended. Thieves operate here is what it said, which is very, what a British thing to, to say. <laughs> Those bloody thieves. <laughs> These is operating around here. You've got to keep an eye out. You've got to keep good. a lookout. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that's one thing that I noticed. Have you ever been to a, a country where that's been a major problem? Um, America. Yes, obviously America, that, which is why I said it's basically like America, but with a British accent and cooler architecture. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, the, every, a lot of major city, global cities will have their issues, um, and it's... I guess not encouraging to hear that that a place like London, which we uh, look look up to as a place with all this rich history and great architecture and art and and all that stuff, um, still has the same type of big city problems that we have here in the U.S. Right, and uh, I, I it was almost like an immediate notice thing. And what was really interesting and what might be a little different 
I obviously, you know, actually not different from the U.S. now because in the U.S. you get stuff stolen from you all the time and nobody does anything about it. That's exactly what happened in London. Every single person who I saw get robbed or get their stuff taken away, they went to the store manager, they called the police and they're literally like, I'm sorry, we can't do anything about that. We're And we're not going to do anything about that. So thank you for calling and letting us know that it's happening. Also, we don't care. And... Uh, the the ladies would be like, can we look at the CCTV footage? You know, I'm a taxpayer. Can I look at the the footage that was taken of my me literally getting robbed? So maybe I can do something about it. No, so sorry, we cannot do that for for other people's safety. So we're not going to show you the footage. We're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to look for the person who just jacked your stuff. And you're out of luck. So have a nice day. I don't know why I did that in an Australian accent, but uh, <laughs> that's Blimey. exactly that's throw exactly some shrimp on the barbie and deal yeah. with it. <laughs> no, I'm no. going to head back to the outback now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did you see that viral video this weekend of, uh, I mean, I know you've been off the grid a little bit, yeah, but yeah. Um, I saw on Twitter, there was a, gr- someone, some, a group of people just went into the grocery store in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and just started raiding it and stealing like all their liquor, like all the top shelf liquor, just like filling backpacks full of it. And th- of course, the security is just standing there watching it happen. Like, and that's just become a normal thing. Like the normalization of petty crime is such a... My parents just visited my younger brother. They live in D.C. And they were out to dinner. And while they were at dinner, um, the car was broken into. The They busted his window and mm-hmm. just in the course of like a regular day. And of course, there's, there's nothing you can do. It's just, okay, well, I guess I just have to replace my window now. Right. So it's not purely an American problem, which is something that became abundantly clear to me during this trip. And what I think is interesting is that America takes the spotlight in so many different ways where you'll travel to these countries and as soon as people know you're an American they're like oh you're an American and all this stuff and you know you, you probably think you're the center of the world is what a few people have, have said while I was traveling I'm like no we really don't and you know what I wish there was more footage of what's happening here in London because everybody it talks about Europe as if it's like this perfectly pristine nothing's happening all you do is you go there and visit it's nice for vacation it's totally clean they don't have the homeless problem they don't have the crime problem they don't have any of the problems that america's having and then you go there and you're like the hell are you guys talking about (laughs) because that girl just got robbed (laughs) uh so does it make me sleep better at night knowing that it's not just an american problem no uh but it was truly interesting to see with my own eyes i got into a taxi heading to a restaurant i was by myself and i hop in this taxi cab and the guy's like uh so where are you from? And I was like, uh, I'm from America. I'm from Los Angeles. And he, he made that same comment. You know, Americans think that America is the only country in the world because I told him this is my first time leaving the United States. And he goes, well, that's probably the same for most Americans. They probably just stay there and think that their country is the only country in the world. And then he goes, uh, I go, yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of Americans uh, can can feel that way or think that way. But I'm sure a lot of people from other countries do the exact same. You know, you just know what you know. And he said, no, I think the Americans get it because they're watching Fox News. <laughs> A caricature exists overseas as well. That's good to hear. Yes, the caricature exists overseas as well. So he says, I think these Americans uh, think this because they're watching Fox News. And immediately I just started giggling a little bit because obviously I go on Fox News once a week. (laughs) And I'll be on Fox News tonight at 730 uh, Pacific, 1030 Eastern if you guys want to watch it. Um, And I was like, oh, yeah. mm -hmm." And I just sort of shrugged it off a little bit. And he keeps talking to me and he goes, so what do you do for a living? You should have said it right there. I go on Fox News. I should have been like, you can check out my work on Fox News as I got out of the taxi. Um, But I said, you know, I I do podcasting. It's a little political and I'm on the conservative end of things. And he goes, well, I don't I don't think you mean that you're a conservative. I said, no, I mean that I'm a conservative. He goes, I think what you mean is that you're pro business. I said, yeah, but not not exactly that at all. (laughs) And uh, we we continued talking. And of course, he just had this total caricature of what it meant to be on the far right here in America. And I imagine a lot of people in Europe just think the same thing, because that's all that they hear about America is about like this far right versus this far left. Yeah, it shows you the power of the media uh, and their power to make perceptions and and make perceptions that uh, overtake reality. Yeah. And clearly they're going through the same issues as we are because I had so many of these individual experiences hearing from so many different people across the political spectrum there. I, after getting out of that taxi cab with that guy who sort of, you know, said, ew, Fox News, I went to this restaurant, I sat down, and this older gay British man is sitting next to me with his husband. This man's probably in his early 80s. And he turns over to me and he says hello and we start talking. 
And again, before I even mention what I do, anything that I do for a living, he starts talking about how like woke garbage is taking over London. And he's been living here for decades now and he never thought this was going to be an issue. And he said, you know, I'm in my 80s. I'm a white, apparently privileged, but I'm also a gay man. And he said, I don't know whether or not I'm supposed to be acutely privileged for being born white or whether or not I'm oppressed because I'm gay. And we had this whole conversation and he spoke about how a lot of uh, London politics and what's happening in the UK is very similar to what's happening here. And they sort of have the same battles. They're on the same and he's on the same side as we are in, in their own cultural battles. So it was so interesting And then I would go on to open up, you know, some of the magazines they have in London. And one of them talked about how the church should be handling the topic of race and equity and diversity and all these things. So it truly is just a shared problem that all of us are going through in our in our respective countries and in our respective worlds. So that was a really interesting thing to see. But other than that, I will say not very different from America at all, at all. Shared values. They're our, our distant cousins. We, yeah, we have kindred, kindred spirits over there in, in the United Kingdom. Other than that, I mean, I, I traveled around. I saw, like I said, the Buckingham Palace and all the structural feats and wonders of uh, the United Kingdom. I went to the Winston Churchill Church Room, which was pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, my boyfriend's Australian, and a lot of people blame Winston Churchill for what happened in Gallipoli and the Australian lives that were lost in, in that battle in World War II. So there was some mixed reviews of that man, but the UK loves him loves him i'm talking rooms and rooms filled with pictures of him quotes books his old study where he where he went through strategy during the war where his wife stayed all of these things and just hundreds of people going in to to look at uh, his life and what he was doing and uh he's somebody who is close in my mind when it comes to historical figures because my grandfather is obsessed with winston churchill so that was really cool to to go over there and see but but other than that that was my uk experience then i went over to paris for one day of torrential downpour which was fantastic and uh i'm now fluent in french <laughs> ah c'est vrai on va parler en français un peu Très bien. Très bien. <laughs> That was good. Comment ça va? Uh, ça va je suis désolé. Ah, I'm very wow, sorry. Son prononciation, c'est très bien. Ah, si. Uh, Taylor, for those of you who don't know, is our local and resident polyglot. <coughs> we already got five, yeah. four, five languages now. How many languages? I mean, I'm moderate. I'm proficient, conversationally proficient in Spanish, Portuguese, and French and English. Spanish, Portuguese, French. English. My goodness. Yeah. And, and I, I can't imagine even learning one other language other than English, <laughs> which is so embarrassing because another thing is when you go to somewhere like Paris, virtually everybody speaks a different language. I was sitting at a table with uh, our friends who happen to live in Paris and one of them speaks five languages. The other speaks three. The other speaks two. The other speaks three. It's just a mix of just highly proficient yeah. people. But the, and this plays into the the idea, the perception that a lot of Europeans have that Americans are very insular mm -hmm. is that, you know, we'll like take Spanish in high school or whatever for yep. a few years, but forget it because you don't really need to learn a foreign language as an American to yeah. like live life and make a way for yourself in the world. And you really don't need to pay attention to global politics that much. And so I think that is, uh, there is something to be said for that perception that America, it's not, it's not purely a caricature. Like America is a very like self-sufficient place and kind of the world's biggest exporter of of culture when you think about right. Hollywood and on all the influence of American politics and the American economy has a lot of stuff is just downstream from the US and so it just doesn't occur to, to most Americans and so with that is they don't have to learn the the language that everyone else languages that everyone else has to learn um, to conduct global business which is English and it's so that's another true. big part of it it's very true and, and, and just proximity alone like we're not close to no. any of these other countries where in France you can you know step into the next country and have a different language that is being spoken and it is a uh, the natural language for that area and the the thing oh. about it, yeah go for it well i didn't want to cut you off but i i just had this thought occur to me i was listening to the trigonometry podcast mm -hmm. which went viral this morning over some comments that sam harris made on it yeah, um but one of the hosts is british and he or one of one's russian who grew up 
or moved to Britain as a young person, I think. And the other one's just an old British guy, and he's hilarious. Um, but one of the things they talk about is how um, in UK culture, there's it's very like classist and tiered, and there's this sort of sense that it, you need to stay in your place and stay in your station and don't try to like they they were comparing that. They were actually guests on the Joe Rogan podcast this past week, and mm-hmm. with Rogan, they were talking about how much they love America and how the culture here is very like entrepreneurial and yes, go get them, bet on yourself, pull yourself up by the bootstraps as as they hate to say. Um, mm-hmm. And the UK, he said, is much more like even as comedians, they were saying like that some of them are stand up comics. They were saying like um, they if you're like not somebody who's been on TV, then you need to stay in the comedy clubs. You know, it's like they're very really? like classist in how they're thinking. That's so anyway, did you run into any of that type of stuff? No, I mean, I, I didn't really notice any of that. It's not something that I, I truly even thought about, that there was certain lanes that people needed to stay in. I That's something that I'll have to just actually go and, and retrospectively just think about and whether or not I noticed that. I certainly noticed the influence of American culture in both places, in both Paris and in London. Every like I thought the shopping was going to be very different there. It's all uh, the same things we have in America. The advertisements were all American companies. The movies were all American movies. The music playing in stores when you go shopping and when you're traveling around all American music for both uh, Paris and London. So it, we are clearly very influential in these countries, but also there is sort of a judgment towards Americans, less so in London than than in Paris. I think, uh, you know, you always hear as a kid when you're growing up in America, oh, the Parisians and people from France, they're so mean and they're so rude and all this stuff. Not true at all, of course. There are yeah. plenty of, of perfectly nice people. I, I will say there is just a different cultural communication than what you would see in in some place like like London uh, versus France although that could just be a language barrier but it's a lot more straight-faced and I think the way that uh, care is communicated in in a place like Paris might be a little bit different than in London like if you are an American visiting and you try to speak the language and you truly give it your best effort in communicating with them uh, what you need and where you're trying to get very very kind they will correct you and strongly correct you but in a way that is very caring and trying to say oh i I see that you're trying to learn here's how you actually say uh this particular phrase also both of these countries are far more leisurely than america is that's true far more leisurely paris more so than than london but going there you know in walking around in Paris, we were walking. We're like, it's very quiet, and there's nobody here. And our friend who who is lives there, his name is Alex. He goes, oh well, yeah, it's August. So what do you mean it's August? Mm. In August, everybody leaves Paris and goes on vacation, and they close all their shops for basically the entire month. And he's like, and everything's closed on Sunday, and most things are closed on Monday because people really value their their leisure time. And we arrived in Paris at around 7 p.m., so we needed to get a hotel. So we're walking around trying to find all these hotels. We walk in, and they're like, I am sorry, we cannot give you a room. And we're like, why do you not have rooms? Uh, no, we have them. Uh, can we can we get one? I uh, we stop giving at eight o'clock, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna continue working here. We're gonna continue working here. We're open twenty four seven. However, we stop giving you rooms at eight o'clock. Okay, so we're like, okay, we're gonna leave this hotel and walk to another one. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It's uh, it's eight <laughs> thirty. What do you mean it's 8.30? We can't get a hotel room here. And they're like, no, you can't get a hotel. We called three others. And they're like, no, it is too late. It is too late. It is too late. We called another one. And they're like, uh, we stopped giving rooms at at 10 p.m. At this point, it's 9.30. So my friend in in French is like, what do you mean? It's 9.30. And they literally on the other end of the phone go, 9.30, 10 p.m. Same thing. Wow. Same. 9.30, 10 p.m. What do you mean? And that was the case for virtually every single shop we went to, every single place. The like, rules are the rules. Yeah. What, I'm sorry. And we did not care. I'm so sorry. <laughs> they they like just did not want your business and everything was like closed. It was hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah, there's a, I guess it is kind of, a, they move at a different speed and that's interesting. There's, there's the rigidity there. I encountered a little bit of that. I went there this summer for uh, a friend's wedding and I remember I went for breakfast, I wanted, you know, in America, you go pick up a coffee, pick up a pastry at mm-hmm. Starbucks and walk out and go on your merry way. Right. And um, there I wanted to get like a a croissant and a coffee and th- th- you had to, 
they, it was like a takeaway thing, but like they wanted you to sit down and like have the full experience. Mm-hmm. And it's like weird to them whenever you are wanting to like go take things to go right. or, or get a, a like Starbucks. They have Starbucks and you can do it. But um, in general, it's like you have to follow the rules. And like I like to have a little bit of uh, coffee with my dessert. And there it's like you have the dessert and then you have coffee after the dessert. Yes. And you can't have it at the same time. Because right. Are rouge. Yes, that's exactly right. There is a deep set culture and it is a leisurely culture which i kind of you know i'm i'm not judging whatsoever and if that's the way that you want to live and the way that you can live i think that's a wonderful thing i think a lot of people and particularly on the conservative end of things like they look at places like paris and uk oh they don't want to work they're so lazy these europeans and you know but they're happy and that's the way they want to lead their lives and they get their business done and people know that things are closed on Sunday or on Monday and they deal with it and they account for those things and that's the way you want to run your society, then by all means. I was kind of like, that's kind of cool that you guys don't really work as much as we have to work over here. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of people say, you know, when they're in foreign countries, it's like you'll wake up in the morning and go to a cafe and have coffee for an hour and a half and then you go to work for maybe four hours and then you go get another coffee for an hour and a half and then you work a little bit and then you're done for the day, which I cannot imagine America ever being like that. Ever. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded as you're talking about, I just watched the HBO series on John Adams not too long ago. And there's this scene where he's he was a diplomat to France and he's talking to the, the French uh, politicians and, and the bourgeoisie of France. And he's telling them how um, like they were basically looking at him as like not very cultured, not very into the the haute couture of, of, of the day and the mm-hmm. fashion and all that. And um, John Adams was said to them basically like I'm studying uh, or my, my children are studying like farming or I'm studying farming so my children can be economists and my children are going to be study eco- economist, uh, economics and stuff so that they can their children can get into arts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting thing when you talk about like the, the age of Europe and the speed that they move at being slower is there is this sense of like that that highly developed culture, society, then just the history and the richness there, yep. that, that it makes sense that they move at that slower speed because they've kind of, uh, they're, they're not really interested in the Amer- America was like a new thing that um, is where all the people who are entrepreneurial and wanted to innovate and start something and, and yeah. you know, have the land of opportunity. That's where they went. Um and they're not, it's not the American dream was never like, oh, just be comfortable or sit back and enjoy the finer things. Right. But Europe has a little bit more of that flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I will work to the end of being able to have this leisure. And then in America, it's like, I know I'm going to work. I'm going to hustle. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Which I think a lot of young people maybe are getting disillusioned with as they're seeing other people that are not living like that. And then being what they feel is like forced into the rat race, as, as uh, many refer to in our capitalist economy. But you know, it's certainly a place that I would want to visit for a longer period of time. Like I would love to spend like a three to six month span there and actually see how it works, what the what the system is actually like, how the economy functions under those circumstances before I can truly speak to what the outcomes of practices like that actually are. But it was certainly a noticeable difference. Like if you were in America and you wanted a hotel at any time, at any place, <laughs> at, at four in the morning, you could walk into a place and if they're not full you are getting a room and if you don't get a room there they're pointing you to somewhere where you can and they're there I am so sorry. <laughs> and uh, I also don't I know, know you got anything. an empty room back there. You better let me in here. Literally, like I see, I literally see the empty rooms you have, and they're like, I'm actually just going to stand at this computer for the rest of the night with my coffee, and I'm uh, my fingers don't work anymore after eight o'clock. Is <laughs> essentially what it was like. Uh, but uh, cool, something that I learned immediately upon upon arrival. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely a place that I would like to spend more time. London was like America light so i don't know that i need to spend a long oh, how was the time food there. did you say that already ah you know i didn't have any that's a bad reputation english food i'm sorry yeah and that's why i didn't really go for like straight up british cuisine they had uh, really great thai really great french food really great uh restaurants especially in central london because you know it's i did it's tell a, you that you were worried about the food and i was like I was it's a global worried. city they're gonna have all kinds of stuff. yeah and then i went and it was a global city yeah. and they had all kinds of stuff <laughs> Yeah, because I was very worried about like, uh, I don't know what I'm gonna what I'm gonna eat there. But uh, yeah, I know it was great, and they had all kinds of stuff, as Taylor said in 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 France. But you didn't have any bangers too. and mash, or you know, uh, shepherd's pie. You or... know, not my thing. Although I have had that here in Los Angeles at like a British <laughs> place that we have like a British pub here. Did you have tea and crumpets. <laughs> I did not have tea and crumpets, but I did in France do like the typical, you know, the steak and the fries and all that fun stuff, and um, 
the friend that we were hanging with had a, a French bistro cafe right next to his place that did, you know, typical French cuisine. And we sat there and had it uh, pastis and all that, all that fun stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the place out of the two that I, I would definitely go back. Uh, what is what? What do you feel like you notice were recognizable differences from France and the United States? Because you spent a considerable amount of time there. France and the United States. I mean, I I kind of are said it already with just. I mean, you said it a lot as the the slower pace in life, the very like um, rigid rule structure with how they approach like everything. Rules. It's like this is how it is. This is how we do things. Right. Um, and yeah, I I don't. I mean, obviously. Um, I don't know. America is so unique, and America mm-hmm. so America. I think America is the weird one, and the French France, France is honestly, bit, yeah, yeah. They seem like a society that's just come to a conclusion on how they're going to lead things, and America's yeah. just like a free for all where you can do anything and be anything, and you can work as much as you want or as little as you want. And... Yeah, it's a lot less like chaotic feeling. Like yeah. the U.S., especially in Los Angeles, it's like so many people, so much going on all the time, yes. and even like Paris is a big city and it's very busy and everything, but it just has this feel of like. You can breathe, relax a little bit. And it makes sense. Like, you know, a lot of famous uh, American and British authors lived in Paris, like throughout history. Mm -hmm. And I think, again, artistic people can kind of move there because it's this slower, slower pace of life where you have more space to think and create and and be more pensive. um, And it just fits fits better within that culture and then you put couple that with a culture that is very focused on haute couture and the, mm-hmm. the high fashion high art high intellectual uh discourse and postmodernist thinking and all this stuff so right. um that you definitely get get a feel for all that when you're there yeah very cool highly recommend guys uh yeah i i had a great time and that that is really the the summation of the vacation trip hopefully you guys didn't notice my absence all that much because the youtube channel was running like crazy we were posting videos i made maybe a couple videos while i was over there but uh taylor scott and spencer really cranked them out for the youtube channel well, we recorded a kind of a ton of content before you left as yes. well so that helped yes absolutely uh and now we're going to head into some Q&A, chill show today. If you guys have any questions, you can drop them down below in the chat. I compiled some that you guys put on my community post that I put out earlier today. You can go give that a like if you want. And uh, we're going to get through some questions here. Henry Pat 21 says, how much, in parentheses more, did going overseas increase your appreciation for where you live? You know, I'm always have a distinct amount of gratitude for being born and raised here in the United States and for living here. I can't imagine another country that I would want to uh, live in at this point, but I haven't been to many other countries to be able to speak about where I would want to live. As far as increasing appreciation, there was certainly an, an appreciation for just how limitless America truly is and all the different things that you can do and how structurally abundant it is. I will say it made me appreciate American architecture a lot less. <laughs> Not that I ever really appreciated it before, but going to to Paris and seeing like uh, Notre Dame and Sacré-Cœur, things like that, gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful structures. And we do have some of that in America, but I feel like we've not done well at, at uh, conserving some of the historical structures here in, in the United States. And maybe that's because of a lack of care for history and a lack of care for, for those types of things. And maybe it is sort of a, a side effect of capitalism that now we just like crank out and churn out buildings and skyscrapers and all this stuff uh, with very little regulation on what's done there. And now everything's all grayscale and industrialized and all that. Uh, So I will always appreciate being born and living in America. I I don't know uh, how much it made me appreciate it more other than the fact that I got to see that other countries are probably dealing with a lot of the same of what we're dealing with here. It's very much a united, united front on a lot of these things. So thank you, Henry. Next one, Daniel, what's your favorite part about working for PragerU? And Taylor can speak to this too. And how can I get a job there? First of all, if you go to PragerU.com, check out our jobs listing page. We have so many jobs that are just waiting to be applied for and waiting for you guys to take. Some of you will have to move to Los Angeles. Others of you won't. So uh, check out our jobs listing page on PragerU.com and see if there's anything that you might be qualified for. Maybe you're not qualified for and you want to take a shot at because we enjoy people who have enthusiasm and want to learn as well. So yeah, go to PragerU.com. As far as my favorite part of working for PragerU, I I have 
just a complete freedom when it comes to the things that I talk about, how this show runs every day, what sort of content we put out. So that is my favorite part about working here at PragerU. And as much as we get the rep of just being, you know, this hardcore conservative, everybody's the same cookie cutter organization, as you'll see like trolls on the internet talk about PragerU. So many people as you walk through these halls have so many differing opinions on all these different subject matters. And we're actually able to have those conversations and have those discussions about where we might differ and, and stay in our differences rather than having to conform to one set of ideas like I had to when I was working at my left-leaning organization. So those are my favorite things about working here. Taylor? Funny, Amala. We all know you get paid to say whatever they tell you to say. <laughs> I'm just a grifter doing my grift, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have a similar answer. I'm just grateful to work somewhere where um, what I'm doing is directly related to and overlapping with on the Venn diagram of, of what's meaningful. Yeah. And uh, I, I find it tremendously meaningful to, be able to participate in the great ideological battles of our time. And like you're saying, um, wokeism is not just a uniquely American problem. The, the mm -hmm. problems that we talk about every day is not just happening here. And so uh, being able to be on the front lines of that in a way is, is really great. And uh, being able to do that in the role that I have, getting to work with Amala and uh, getting to work just <laughs> creatively every day. We can, we're just coming in and have a lot of freedom to um, figure out what's uh, what's happening, what's trending, what trends we can speak to, and what's important, and uh, try to just speak truth into that. Yeah, it's insane. I was walking around London, and this guy walked up, and he said, are you the girl who does that uh, show and does those TikToks? It's like, yeah, I am that person. <laughs> <laughs> How insane is that? That just uh, what, we, what we say resonates with so many people, not just in our own country, but across the world. Insane. And you could just like feel, I felt a couple times walking around, like somebody would look at me like this and then just immediately be like <laughs> on their phone, like checking to see if the tattoo's the same yeah, and all yeah. this stuff. And that's just such a weird and crazy, humbling and, and just insane experience to, to go through in my regular life, especially like at being so young. Uh, so, so many things I love about working here and doing this job. And, and there, there's a list that I could go on for days talking about. Next one is Joshua Cassidy. Says, do you think we live in the Matrix? Uh, would I know if we did? Would I know if we did? Honestly, I often, not I, I don't want to call it an existential crisis because it's not an existential crisis, but I often just picture, you know, there are so many, uh, so many ways we could be living on this earth that we have absolutely no idea. We're just here and living in it and we are uh, just uh, our, our small places and what is a vast vast world and universe so there's a million different explanations for how we could be here why we're here and what sort of system we are living in and you know what i say to that i say i have no clue and i'm not going to tell you what what i think we are are uh living in where we're at because i have no no clue and as far as whether or not a matrix is one of those possibilities <laughs> sure <laughs> uh and how many genders are there taylor can you take this one i'm I have an infinite what's, one. What's swirling. the latest uh, official word from, I don't know, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary or whatever the institution of the day is that gets to define this for us? Yeah, that's great. Because I, I think we should... could be banned for giving the wrong number here. Is I want to Google. Is it 122? How many genders are there on Google and what pops up immediately? Let's see. There are many different gender identities, including male, female, transgender, gender neutral, non-binary, agender, pangender, gender queer, two-spirit, third gender, and all, none or a combination of these. From a Canadian website called Teen Talk. And this is what Google decides to boost as their, their first option. There you have it, folks. Unbelievable. Uh, anyways, two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one from Lee Waugh. How did you find Alex HRH collection? I love her so much and I'm glad you introduced me. I know of Alex, uh, also known as HRH Collection, who we had on the show to look through some leftist TikToks, talk about dating advice, because I saw her blowing up on my TikTok with these just hilarious character-filled videos of her just going off in her car about, like, woke people. She is known for having a very spicy, fiery crass personality in in many ways and she's just uh, very much herself and that's how i found her videos and she's just a very bold woman who's decided to say 
you know, no, I'm going to say what I truly feel. I'm going to call things out when I feel like they're BS. And I found her on TikTok and we had our team reach out to her and see if she wanted to be on the show. And uh, she did want to be on the show. Happens to be like a huge fan of Dennis Prager and listens to the Dennis show every day in her car. That was a great surprise to hear that. That was a huge surprise because you meet her and you're like, you are such a personality and not somebody who you would typically imagine would listen to Dennis Prager at all. No, and and uh, we had some comments on that episode with her where people were like, "Wow, she's a little aggressive. I'm, I, I can't. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of put off by her." Yeah. But she was extremely toned down. Um, that is the funny part. When she was on our show, out of respect for Dennis, by the way, like mm-hmm. she, she's like, I almost always have to cuss in my videos, but I won't do it here for for Dennis and all this. She like put yeah. aside her character just out of respect. So that was really, really cool of her. Right, and, and still too aggressive for some of you guys. Yeah, I know. I thought she was great. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's it's sometimes people being like really who they are can be like, Ooh, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. she really has no filter. And yeah, I, I admire people who are like that, even if it's not how I typically communicate, because, you know, me, guys, I'm like softer, sweeter in my communication, was sort of more Big Ten. But I, I love meeting people who are just like, uh, fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk how I want to talk. So Andrew Tate's going to be on the show next week. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I've been watching Andrew Tate's uh, ascent into whatever it is that he is now, basically a cultural icon slash uh, anti-hero also villain for many people provocateur provocateur is probably the best word for it and i called it i started seeing his videos and i was like this guy is going to be huge already i saw like a few sprinkles of people talking about him calling him a misogynist saying he's part of the alt-right pipeline the misogynist pipeline all of these things and now he's even bigger than he was uh, like a month ago he's huge now and everybody's having discussions about him i would love to have him on the show and actually have a full-fledged conversation because as far as I'm concerned with Andrew Tate I've seen many of his videos many many of his videos there are things that he says that are true there are also things that he said that he says that are either a false or just really said with the intent of provoking I think a reaction from people and what is interesting in watching him is that as the woke left responds to him and calls him a misogynist or like an anti-feminist and and saying that he's destroying young men in America watch what happens it's only going to grow and grow and grow and grow because the nature of his content feeds off of what the woke left says so the more that they hate him the stronger he becomes particularly with young boys who a are looking for somebody to teach them masculinity, if that's how we're going to define what it is that he does. I don't know if I would go as far as, as defining it as that, uh, or looking for, for guidance in some way, shape, or form, and are also looking to be provocateurs and rebellious. So the more that the left hates on him and calls him all these things, the more that men are and young boys are funneled into his content. Yeah, I think we need to do a deep dive on Andrew Tate because it's getting so much attention. I just yeah. watched a YouTube video by Phil DeFranco on him that came out the other day. Um, and yeah, everyone's got got their hot takes on him. A big question that they're asking right now, and this is what Phil DeFranco said in his video, is like, what do we do about this? Should we censor this guy? Because is he funneling people to the alt-right pipeline? Does that mm-hmm. violate free speech? What? And of course it does. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting... He, he is such a, a lightning rod for controversy. And I think, to me, the the interesting thing about Andrew Tate is less about, like, oh, what is he funneling people to the alt-right and all this stuff? I think that's all just uh, yes. smoke and mirrors. Yeah. I think the real question is, why is he such a tentpole? Why, why is there so much attention being put on him? And I'm reminded of 2016 Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, it has that same energy of, like, yep. just this unapologetic, brash person who people are afraid of uh, making a, a role model of some kind and mm-hmm. fear that they're they're radicalizing in some way. But he's obviously being provocative, but saying a lot of true things that resonating with a lot of people. And um, I'm seeing I see a lot of parallels there. So anyways, I think yeah. we should just do a deep dive and react to all of this. Stuff. Might be tomorrow's episode, ladies and gentlemen, mm. when you create. A vacuum where nobody can speak and everybody's censored. Guess who becomes your next celebrity? Andrew Tate becomes your next celebrity. The person who is exactly. unafraid to step on your censoring. The person who's unafraid to step on the rules that you've placed. So if you want to blame somebody for the rise of Andrew Tate, you should blame yourself if you hate him. Like mm-hmm. that's that's exactly what has happened here. Okay, next question from Pika Warps. What do you think of, quote, the right stuff, end quote, conservative exclusive dating app? For those of you who don't know what this is, uh, it's a dating app that's been launched called The Right Stuff that is particularly for cons- conservatives. It's an invite-only dating app, which is really interesting to me. Uh, and 
Uh, it's basically like Raya. If you guys don't know what Raya is, it's like an exclusive dating app for people who have really good jobs or who are influencers or celebrities. And it's invite only. So you have to invite people in order for them to be on the app. So this is a conservative dating app invite only. Uh, cool. I can understand why there's a market for it, why there's a particular niche for it, because a lot of conservatives are going dating on dating apps and being ridiculed for their beliefs or being asked to pick their pronouns on their profile and just running into these problems time and time again. And they just want to meet somebody who shares their values and is not going to ridicule them for the values that they have. Fair enough. I'm not a dating app person myself, and I we, we can have a whole conversation about the utility of dating apps and whether or not it's something that's healthy for society. But I can understand why an exclusive conservative dating app would exist. Question, maybe a little plot hole in, in the creation of this. If the premise is that it is, A, hard for conservatives to find each other, and B, hard to find a dating app that supports conservatism, why would you make it an invite-only app? Because you'd have to find other conservatives and invite them in order to make your dating app work, is my only question. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think the invite thing is like, it's been a strategy. I, I actually, funny enough... Um, came across like a super old email in my inbox the other day and it, uh, from Gmail and it was my first ever Gmail and it was to my brother and we were just like making little banter back and forth from 2005. But back then Gmail was invite only. Yeah. And so I think for apps and, and just it's a common thing in tech is that it's just a, a growth thing Yeah. because like, you know, I... I may invite the 10, 20, 30, 50 people I know and someone else who hears about it invites 50 people they know and then you have right. that ripple effect and it's like this cool thing. Right. It just generates a little more buzz. It's kind of like not having the sign on the door at your bar makes it cooler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if yeah, it's yeah. just open to everybody, then it's like, oh, it's not cool. But sure. LA, it's like the thing is like, oh, whatever the bar is that you have to like find out to go to That's the, and that has the line out the door, right. that's the one you need to be at. So I think that's what they're trying to create. Whatever, as far as the app itself, I mean, there's like J-Swipe, a Jewish uh, app. There's yeah. all kinds of apps for targeted farmers only. Um, so sure, why not? Why can't one exist? I think the question just comes in. is like, is it cool how you're marketing it? Is that cool? That's, that's and, really all that yeah, matters. That, yeah. What's your demographic? Is your demographic actually getting on the app? Are they finding successful relationships? And that's really all that matters. And what's your marketing look like? Uh, yeah. Create a conservative dating app, especially since conservatives are known to be the ones who date with intent and, you know, want to find people with similar values. Why not cut out the middleman and just get to the point where you're already meeting people who share your values? And then you can worry about other things instead of adding that onto the list. So great idea, in my opinion. David Johnson, I have a question for you. Has the idea of live and let live ever crossed your mind what i've seen in your posting is people that are not exactly like you you demean them and downgrade them doing this make you feel superior well we'll get through the types there but let's let's uh break down this question has the idea of live and let live ever crossed your mind certainly and we talk about this on the show quite a bit actually if you are an adult who wants to lead your life in a certain way and make choices uh, that affect you and only you and that's the way you want to lead your life, by all means, do it. Uh, does that mean that you're free from people commenting on it or having discussions about what you do? No. And I think that's actually helpful and a sign of just a fruitful society, a pluralistic society where you can have these discussions and, and maybe come to a conclusion. Does that have to include demeaning and downgrading people? No. <laughs> Which is something I... I happen to be and Taylor happens to be very cognizant of uh, and we have several conversations on the show you know when we talk about particularly extreme leftists we go and I go look at my arm look at who I used to be I used to be a, a very extreme leftist so I think a lot of people can sort of hop on their soapbox and judge people and demean and downgrade them as was stated in, the, in this comment and do so with the knowledge that they've never been those people and with the idea that they could never be those people. And how I approach conversations is I totally could have been this person and I might have been this person in, in, in my past. So what is a, a healthy amount of judgment or criticism that can be placed and spoken about without actually coming after the person themselves? And that's what we do. So a lot of the discussions that we have and why we don't say talk about politicians or pieces of legislation is that we want to talk about values, ideas, the foundations of these ideas and attack and criticize those. Now, if that feels like in a personal a personal attack to somebody, I can't help that. But 
personal attack should never be the the intent of the conversations that you're having or what you're doing. It should always be the ideas. So, and I think we're very cognizant of that, and we talk about that on the show a lot. So I'm not sure what the example of demeaning or downgrading would be, but I would love to hear it. As far as the last question, doing this make you feel more superior? No, <laughs> absolutely not. And and. Uh, I think it was actually at the beginning of this show today. I know absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things and, and, and where we are, but I do like to acknowledge objectivity and hopefully try to find it uh, in our in our little time that we have on this earth. So as far as superior, no. Anything to add, Taylor? What's the name of the show again? Unapologetic, baby. <laughs> so if you come to a show called Unapologetic, right. um, don't expect someone to apologize for saying the truth. And like you said, I think obviously in this, it's it's not in the spirit of what we do to ever try to target people or harass them or bully them. Right. And I, I don't even like to say that because it's like a concession to even have to give a caveat. Right. Um, and that's why we rarely do it. But yeah, it, we're speaking truth um, and it's, it's not our fault if somebody becomes a, an avatar of an ideology or a mouthpiece of an ideology that we uh, are criticizing and going to be critical of. And we're, we're not critical of the person. It's not really the, the people that are our enemy per se. Yep. It's the ideas that are that they're beholden to, the ideas that are running their, their operating system of their mind right. and that we want to dissect, expose and, and, and uh, hopefully point t- point people to objectivity, point them to the truth, point them to enduring wisdom and values that um, supersedes or should supersede what they're uh, staking their worldview on. And right. that's really what we're what we're about here. I got some heat this week because I made a video the other day um, that went out on our Instagram um, reacting to a CBS segment on the um, this new study that said childhood obesity is up 30% because of climate change. Mm-hmm. And the CBS, Gosh. yeah. And um, the, the video I used was a segment on CBS that aired um, a, a Good Morning America, or not Good Morning America, but one of their shows like that. And um, the the guy who said the, the who recited the the findings of the study happened to be this former NFL player who went on to later in the segment um, say that okay this study says this but I think that kids should go outside and and this could not could be just because they're not exercising they're on their screens too much yeah. um, but some people went after me though for like misrepresenting his views and stuff and I was like no 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 this is not an attack on this person this is right. an attack of the on the ideas and it's not my fault if he's put himself in a position where he's the face of the mainstream media that I'm yes. criticizing yes. And so it's not about people for us it's about the ideas yeah and I think people mistake criticism of their ideas as a criticism of like who they are as a person and that's where we've gotten in politics is saying your politics is uh, just a branch of who you are as a person. And in ways that is true. It is sort of a reflection of your your morals and your values. But when you attack an idea that somebody has put forth for you, it's not like you're attacking the person personally. Uh, and you can say, yeah, I don't think that idea is logical at all. And that's not to say that that person is completely devoid of all logic and that they're completely a logical person. It's just to say that that particular idea is illogical. Now, whether or not you take that as being demeaning or, or downgrading, uh, that's uh, that's up to you. And it's funny because when we have conversations about things that are controversial or offensive, only because you say they are, not because they actually are, not because they are to me, not because they are to Taylor, only because you've said so. Uh, so, yeah. And it, it's funny because before the show even started, you know, I scroll through Twitter all the time and you'll see like conservatives and leftists go back and forth on Twitter and calling each other evil and stupid and all this stuff. And every time I see it, I just go, ew, you've lost. You've lost whatever argument you just you just were having by calling that person evil or by calling them stupid or resorting to an ad hominem attack. You've lost, uh, regardless of what side that they're on. So... As far as that happening on our show, no way, Jose. No way, David Johnson. <laughs> and if you have examples, by the way, and that you think you see that, call us out. We'd, we'll mm-hmm. look at it. We'll try to be honest and intellectually honest and look at those oh, and yeah. say, are we violating those principles that we espouse? Because right. we'll, we'll own it if, if we see that. But uh, yeah, we're not, we're, not, we're not afraid of the criticism, but you're not going to get an apology for just doing what we do. That's it. Next one is from Sarah Kano or Kano. How uh, do you have pol- how do you have a political slash social rights issue conversation with someone without being too pushy or excited to prove them wrong? LOL, <laughs> which which is great. I know a lot of people go into conversations and that is their sole intent. The thing is not making that your sole intent is the way that you go into conversations without doing that. So whenever you're approaching a conversation with somebody, go, I don't want to prove them wrong in this. And 
I don't want to be pushy in my communication of this. And this is a trap that I fall into a lot. Sometimes I'll catch myself doing it or I won't even catch myself doing it until way later after I've had the conversation because you just get into the heat of the moment with somebody or you get struck with something that makes you defensive and you just go for it. But you have to constantly remind yourself and practice on a daily basis. I'm just trying to have this conversation to understand this person. And when you do that, they will lead themselves to the truth. I truly do believe that. So much of the fighting and the divisiveness that we're experiencing right now as a society, although on different moral lines and value-based lines, everybody's just looking to be loved, accepted, and understood. That's really what people are looking for, regardless of where you come from. And when those needs are met for people, often it gives them the clarity and the compassion to try and understand other people. And you know, my mom said this recently, I'll share. I've been having lots of conversations with my mom and we've been closer than ever since I've started doing this job and since I've moved away and all of this stuff. And she was speaking to my grandmother and she said, you know, speaking to Amala has opened my mind to actually having discussions and relationships with people who I, I disagree with, which can be a very difficult thing to do for people. And I completely understand that. But once you go into conversations with the intent of understanding people, that will change your entire life. And I, I find myself catching myself when when I'm I'm doing the opposite of that. I had a friend who told me, you know, you got to watch this documentary about this guy. He's so horrible. It details his entire life and all these evil things that he's done and all these people that he's effed over and how he was just a menace the entire time he was alive. And then he died. And I immediately thought, how did he get like that? Does the documentary talk about his upbringing? Does the documentary talk about any horrible things that it, that has happened to him? Does the documentary say anything positive about the man at all? And she said, no. Evil guy through and through. Look at all these horrible things that he's done. And I said immediately, I don't trust whoever has made that documentary. People are multifaceted. Uh, people, whether or not you love them or hate them, have good and bad parts about them and reasons why they are the way they are. So that's why I no longer approach conversations with I'm going to prove you wrong in having this conversation. I just want to understand how you got to be where you are. And in doing so, they will lead themselves wherever they need to be led. Yeah, I can't really improve on that. But I, I am reminded of, um, as in a great example of honest conversation of two people who vehemently disagree, um, hit uh, came out yesterday when kind of went viral was Seth Dillon, the CEO of Babylon B, was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast and they got onto the topic of abortion. And we actually reacted to a clip from it on Amla's channel today or yesterday. So if you want to check that out, you can. Um, but but extreme disagreement, um, polar opposite sides. Joe Rogan even gets a little bit heated, um, but they end up both articulating the, their points of view um, passionately, but rationally and uh they have a very productive exchange and i'm like i was very encouraged just that uh well, seth dylan just handled it brilliantly mm -hmm. but uh i was really encouraged that like this on a platform of joe rogan's size we're able to model someone who's approaching a conversation with the intent to understand or at least the willingness yes. to understand once that disagreement hits instead of like just going into hyper defensive mode seth dylan didn't get into this defensive combative mode either he just stayed calm made his points, expressed that I understand your point of view, here's mine, here's the logic I'm operating under. Mm -hmm. And Rogan had enough uh, intellectual honesty to say, I, I disagree with you, but I see what you're saying. Right. And that, that is how conversations should go. And I think you have to develop an intuition for like, okay, is this person I'm talking to even capable of having a conversation? Um, but like you said, if you're going with the intent to understand and asking questions on the basis uh, with that in mind and as your goal, um, you can't really lose. Yep. That it's it's so true. And I remember just being young and, and as a young person, I had all these people in my mind that I hated historical figures, people who are famous, politicians who I've seen on the Internet, uh, random Internet personalities. Oh, I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I hate that person. And now I don't say that about I don't hate anybody anymore. Even people who in my mind have done horrible, heinous, heinous things. I cannot say that I I cannot say that I hate them because I, I function with the understanding that I could have been any of those people given a different set of circumstances. And for those of you who want to know what the documentary uh, is called, it's called Bully Coward Victim. It's about Ray Cohn, who was uh, a lawyer and prosecutor. He prosecuted the Rosen the Rosenbergs, I believe was their last name, or Rosenbergs or Rosenbombs. The guys who, uh, the couple that got the 
chair killed for uh, stealing the atom bomb secret and uh, Russian espionage and all that stuff. And he eventually died of AIDS. And it was about his lifestyle and how he lived. And every single person spoke so poorly uh, about him and, and who he was as a person. Not a single, not a single one gave him a positive, positive compliment, which was which is always a red flag for me in anything. If you cannot truly know know the person who you're criticizing enough to give them, say, one thing positive about them, you don't know. And this is what I went through school going going through, too. When, when you're in history class, like, you learn about people and you just learn, this guy was a really good guy, this guy was a really horrible guy. And th- this is, like, uh, maybe a taboo thing to say, but when we learned about the Holocaust, uh, a lot of people talked about Hitler and they just said he was just a horrible, evil guy and he was born evil and that's the way. And I'm always so interested in, wait, I understand that's absolutely horrible, disgusting, and these acts are are heinous. How? How did this happen? And if we don't ask ourselves how things happen and, and what things might have led to to this point, you're bound, like, bound to repeat it and bound to run into those same problems. So I've always been interested when it comes to sort of the villains and the heroes of history. What are, what are the bad things about the heroes and what are the good things about the villains? Because there's bound to be stuff and nobody ever acknowledges that. Uh, next, ban bottom surgery. <laughs> Says, Great name. Uh, sweet Ghibli poster, which we got behind me, a Studio Ghibli poster. What's your favorite? My favorite movie from Studio Ghibli, Ghibli, however you want to pronounce it, is Howl's Moving Castle. Even though I have Haku from Spirited Away tattooed on me, I love that movie uh, nearly as much and have watched it nearly as many times as I've watched Howl's Moving Castle. But those are my two favorites. Princess Mononoke has an honorable mention. Taylor, have you seen any of those? No, and if you're in the audience and don't know what she's talking about, I'm right there with you. But uh, the poster behind Amala is some, what is it, like an anime thing? It's Yeah, Studio Ghibli is an uh, anime production company uh, started by a director. His name is Hayao Miyazaki, and it's about all of his films, all the Hayao Miyazaki films. And if you love animation and just good creative storytelling and world building, I definitely recommend watching any of his movies. You can literally pick pick any of them and you will love them. Great for great for families too if you want to watch with your with your kids. It's something that I, I grew up watching. Uh, next one. Beetlejuice, how do you emotionally handle haters? You know what? I don't know if I'm like a psychopath or something. It does not affect me. And uh, and it's that's not in the way of being like coy and aloof. Oh, it doesn't affect me and secretly I'm like crying in my bedroom at three o'clock in the morning. It really does not affect me. And I don't know if it was maybe because I was prepared for what I was going to get going into this sort of industry doing what I was doing, or maybe because that was me four years ago, or maybe because I take pity on people who are that filled with hate. It's probably all of those things in in tandem working in my mind, but I could literally read the worst comment ever about how they're going to kill me and my address could be listed below it, and I just go, ah, oh, sucks. Moving on. <laughs> Do you get affected by hate comments, Taylor? No, I mean, if if anything, it makes me like just double and triple check my arguments if someone brings like a critique of something I've said in yeah. the comments or whatever. But even then, it once you read enough dumb ones, um, you're just like, okay, I'm just I know what I think and I know I'm right in this. And like, you know, obviously you want to you want to be conscious of that. But but as far as like just straight up hate. Yeah. Um, and I like how the questions worded, like, how do you emotionally handle haters? I'm like, yeah. well, I just don't handle it emotionally. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I just like, don't have any emotional investment in what these people think and I how they feel about me. So. No. Sometimes they have some, like, some really funny comments, and that I like, I love them. If you roast me and it's a good roast. Oh yeah. Oh, by all means. Somebody, I think the the best, the two best roasts. Somebody photoshopped my face on a token, and I thought that was the best thing. I have the picture saved <laughs> in my phone. I might post it on a on community post after the show. And the other one was I got told that I uh, am like a hot Uncle Ruckus, and I think that is the most hilarious thing. And if you guys haven't watched uh, Boondocks, uh, there's a character called Uncle Ruckus, and he's like this fat black guy who just denies the fact that he's black and is super racist towards other black people and he's very much the epitome of being an uncle tom he's like i i thank the great white god every day that i was born a white man in america and i hate these negroes and like all these crazy things he says as a cartoon uh and i think it's so funny that i got called a hot uncle ruckus <laughs> i honestly 
am going to put it in my Instagram bio now that I'm thinking about this after the show. That, Hilarious. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Your best hate. I mean, if you if they make your Instagram bio, that's like some top tier stuff. Hot Uncle Ruckus. Mm. <laughs> you have any good hate comments, Should Taylor? make that into a t-shirt and for your merch. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know. Would you guys buy Hot Uncle Ruckus t-shirts? I think that's hilarious. <laughs> oh, that's such a good idea. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. And it's also, if you have any other ideas for, like, merch stuff you would want to to see or own, like, do you guys want hats? Do you want mugs? Do you want shirts? Do you want sunnies? Do you want anything? You guys let me know what is something that you would actually want. Like, I hate when people come out with merch and it's, like, their face on a T-shirt. I do not want you guys wearing my face on a T-shirt. I will make something cool, like, sweatshirts that say... Uh, offend me or or something like that people would actually wear not something lame that says like unapologetic with amala on it you know what i mean yeah well i want your face just huge on my, <laughs> on my chest everywhere i go so i can represent but, so we can rip know. it yeah. yeah but you guys let me know if there's something that you uh would want to to buy we'll actually put a list of like merch ideas that we've come up with on a community post and you guys can upvote them and pick which ones you think are cool because I don't want to make something lame. I refuse to be lame. <laughs> uh, We're coming out with our own unapologetic dating app. Yeah. <laughs> unapologetic, where you guys just roast each other and say the worst things to each other. And that's how you guys find dates. Which is honestly not a bad idea. Yeah. Not a bad idea if that's what you're into. Like, you have I love... to start the conversation with an insult. Yeah. <laughs> Me and my boyfriend roast each other all the time. Do you and Ansley do that? Uh -huh. I, I'm a roaster. Actually, no, she's very sensitive. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> never mind, never mind. Don't recommend. Yeah, don't, but don't recommend. In, in the proper context, though, you can always do a funny little jab. Yeah, she makes fun of you. Yeah, I think so. it builds, builds, builds a strong relationship mm -hmm. there. Okay, uh, last one here from South Florida. Good to see you back, Amla. Good to be back. What are your top five vacation destinations? I actually went through a list of places that I would want to go, and I was thinking... They got to be unique. I didn't want to do the regular degular uh, answers for this, like Mexico, Australia. Um, what did I say? I think I said Morocco. I'd like to see Morocco. Your French will come in handy there. Will it? Yeah, they speak French. It's official language. I didn't know that. And the Arabic, but... Très bien. <laughs> uh, what else can I say? Je suis désolé. Uh, I don't... Comment ça va? <laughs> and what did I say? Morocco, maybe India, Japan. Uh, I don't know, guys. I don't know how to come five up with hard. five others. Yeah, five is very spot. difficult. Five is hard on the spot. Yeah. Do you have any that you have not visited that you'd like to go to? Well, at the top of my list right now is uh, Norway because my uh, last name, Trandall, is a village in Norway. Nice. So I'm actually going there next month um, with uh, to my ancestral yeah. home. Um, as a proud Norwegian American, whatever that means now. Uh, but yeah, I, so that's at the top of my list. I'm going to go there, get, scratch that off the bucket list with my brother and our spouses. And uh, besides that, uh, we wanted originally to go on a Mediterranean cruise as our honeymoon, but because of COVID and all this stuff mm -hmm. uh, and like fax requirements on ships and things like that, we were not able to do that. So I still want to do that and go to Spain and Greece and like go nice. on all the stops. So that's my next bucket list. And you guys drop your bucket list destinations down below and maybe I'll take them off. Now that I got my passport, I got the passport in the, I literally got my passport the day before I left for going to London. So right in the <laughs> nick of time, before, yeah. right in the nick of time. And it's good to be back, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you tomorrow for an actual normal show. Maybe we'll do it on Andrew Tate since we uh, dipped our toe Roach in the water. Topic. Uh, yeah. Real quick, Top 10 Sports asks, Amala, do you eat Amala? I do! <laughs> <laughs> I do! It takes a second to register. Like, wait, what? Yeah, I but, was yeah. like, is that a weird sexual question? Because <laughs> y'all be asking some weird sexual questions on my Instagram, by the way. I have a Q&A going over there, too. If you guys want to go give me normal questions, not ask me to post pictures of my feet. <laughs> um, anyways, sore subject for me, clearly. Yes, I do, and I have. Uh, and it's a uh, very popular cuisine. It's popular even in Nigeria, where... Uh, my father is from. So Can yes. you explain what amla is to people? Who yeah, don't know, so it's I like uh, it's like a pounded. I want to say it's very similar to fufu. I'll look up a picture so you guys can can look up can look and see what it actually is. I'll type in amla food because a bunch of different things <laughs> is going to pop up. Okay, so this is actually from the Yoruba culture in Nigeria. I'm not Yoruban. 
Ruben, I don't even know how that, that's how you say it, but I am Ibo. And this is amula. So it's a like a pounded flour that you then mix with a boiling water, much like uh, a fufu for my fellow Nigerians out there. Uh, and then you use it and eat with different stews. So it's a it's a hand food and you grab, dip your little thumb in there to create an indent and eat your stew. And that's how uh, people eat it in Nigeria. And uh, it's typically made of like a yam or cassava uh, flour. And you just mix that with boiling water. And it is quite the arm workout as well. Um, Yeah. For those of you who are in Los Angeles, there's a place called Toto's African Cuisine. I recommend you all go there and you can order that and try it and get it with the igusi stew. And those are my favorite foods. Uh, And yeah, that's my recommendation to you guys. So I do eat amala. (laughs) Thanks for watching Unapologetic with Pounded Flour. (laughs) Yeah. And I think on that note, that is where we're going to end today's show. Thank you guys so much for watching. Drop your top five vacation destinations down below after we end the show. I would love to see them and go through them. And should we do tomorrow's episode on Andrew Tate? Let me know that as well. Thank you guys so much. Please like, subscribe, click the notification bell to be notified every single time that we go live, typically at 3 p.m. Pacific or 6 p.m. Eastern. And every time we post a new reel or short video for your viewing pleasure. Also, follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Getter, Rumble, all the different platforms that you can to constantly find my content in case we ever get banned like Steven Crowder has been banned on YouTube. Big yikes. Again, drop your comments down below. If there's a point that you wish I made that I didn't make, drop that down below. If there's a a miscommunication of what London or or Paris is actually like, drop that down below because I'd love to hear about your experiences as well. Thank you guys so much for watching. Or should I say merci beaucoup. Au revoir. Au revoir. (laughs) Bye guys. (laughs) 